Hello and welcome to the Statsman Podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knudsen. We're back weekly. Look at us go. Apart from last week, but don't worry about that. That was a holiday. Come yeah. on, people get holidays. And a new week is here. More stuff's going on, so we're back. Um, Ted's picked some topics that, that caught his eye. Caught his eye. There's mischief afoot here, I'm sure of it. There must be. <laughs> haranguing me on social media about this for some while but yeah we've got a few topics and um yeah we better get into it really uh international week so you know we we, we understand that you need extra content and entertainment because otherwise it can be a, a little grind but and the first one involves ostriches that's our first topic oh really does it take right <laughs> uh, okay so first topic to the surprise of absolutely no one is uh, we're now a month into the season, um, or four four games anyway, and not much has changed in the world of Harry Kane. Still scoring goals, still leading the line for Tottenham and England. What a great guy! <laughs> um, that, that was very professional. You might be able to, to you know get a real job uh, out of that out of that type of intro. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. That's that's all that needs to be spoken about with Harry Kane. Isn't that right, Ted? Absolutely. Harry Kane looks just like good old Harry Kane. No one can say otherwise. Well, Except yeah. possibly everyone else who's looking at the stats. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Kane's still not shooting very much, which is um I, but hang on, let's let's be specific about this. We do, you know, have a stats company here. How much is not very much? The answer is two point four times per ninety. That's yeah. slightly below league average for a Premier League striker. Yeah, it's not it's not uh, ideal uh, in and his XG things. per 90 is <laughs> it's horrible isn't it I think this looks it's like point is it point two nine? am I right point two nine. that's correct in those so, four games sure you know it's a it's only 4.290 so you know there's, it's early in the season small sample size but it's not just small sample size and this is the thing like we're getting to a fairly robust sample size if you cut the errors into the appropriate times now what happened back in March yeah, he got injured. Yeah, his ankle. And he, he keeps hurting his ankle. I think that's the third time he's, he's rolled his ankle in a match. He's turning into Jack Wilshere. Oh, my God. No. Oh, my God. Go I there. didn't say that. <laughs> but he keeps, he keeps... Whereas Jack was wildly lunging into challenges, Mr. Kane's unlucky and has uh, rolled his ankle. Anyway, the narrative is that he, he, got, he rushed back to finish the season and didn't shoot that much and then he played the World Cup and England didn't shoot that much and he didn't shoot that much but he kept scoring goals and now the uh, the season started up again and he hasn't really had a long break that's the thing he hasn't had a break for apart from being injured for a short period of time he hasn't hasn't had a good long layoff he needed it um, he come out of an injury and then he power through the World Cup and back in the summertime I kind of made this comparison to El Nino, Fernando Torres, and you know you don't want to be El Nino, you want to be Hurricane. Um, so the thing about this is, you know, and, and we've kind of getting feedback. I made this tweet uh, because we have a, a time filter, a date filter on the radars, and so I looked at, at sort of pre-injury uh, era and post-injury era, and this is where it becomes like really clear that that some there's something to worry about, you know. Um, before the injury, he was shooting like over six times per ninety. Mm-hmm. He, he was basically Ronaldo, and and that's you know that's that's that's, that's as close as I can say is like some sort of similar type player, Ronaldo, like you know beef striker, 
uh, shoots from all all ranges, all angles. And the the thing about Harry Kane doing that, and the thing you have to be careful about from a coaching perspective, is that when you have a good long range shooter that's capable of doing those things, you need to chill out a little bit about XG because like it doesn't apply directly to him. And you could teach him about shot locations and being central, and that's good. But, you know, Gareth Bale had this ability and still has this ability, too. He's a very good long-range shooter. Harry Kane is the same thing, often shooting when the goalkeepers aren't necessarily expecting it, which, again, improves things versus the model. The model only knows snapshots and averages and, like, you know, big, broad things. Harry Kane is a specific person that has a specific skill set that can break the things in the model. So the thing that... <clears throat> that we got a lot of pushback for, especially me, since James is out here trying to fight the good Tottenham fight, <laughs> um, is that people are saying, oh, well, you know, give it another couple months and I'll be worried. Look, if it takes you another two months, you will know. If you're not worried right now, your spidey sense is broken. Uh, it is broken to the point that, like, you know, you could be walking along the street and a piano would fall on you and you would have no idea. And that's not where you need to be about this type of stuff. This is why we use data and statistics. If you cut the era pre- and post-injury, you go from Ronaldo to Premier League average. And Harry Kane you know, was a shot monster on the level of very, very few players we have seen in the last 10 years. And all of a sudden, you know, he's cut back. So, like, the question is, what do you do about it? And, yeah, I mean, first of all, you, you should have a chance to respond. I know you've done some research on this. Go ahead, James. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the case for the case for the prosecution is pretty clear. I think I looked at this, like, last season, when, he, when his shot rate went through the roof, which it did last season. Before then, he was more of a, like, kind of three and a half, four shots uh, a game striker. Which is still top 5%. <laughs> which is, yeah, exactly what you want. And then he kind of went supernova. Um I think I looked at it. It was something like uh, 19 games between the start of last season and now, in which he's taken more than four, five uh, shots in a game, um, and they're all from before the injury. There isn't a single one from after. So it's like I don't know, 12 or 13 or something games since he's hit five a couple of times. Um, so that's kind of mm, a little stark, I guess. Um, look at his shot maps here. He seems to have cut out the long shots. I mean, there weren't there were quite a few long shots, but there's nothing outside the box right now. No, there really isn't. He's got like I think you know, small handful, well, four four shots just outside the box and one from deeper. And if you look at his map before, there's a, you know plenty from outside the box. Now that brings up interesting questions about uh, like <laughs> choice. Um, I still think Harry Kane gets a sight of goal, and he takes his shot. Really, I mean, I'd be amazed if he, you know, if Pochettino decided to coach coach that out of him for some uh, odd reason. Um, but this makes makes me wonder, like, has he started to struggle just to find, uh, just to beat a man for a yard? And this comes down to, uh, you know, a little bit of speed, doesn't it? Um, making mm. a yard for a shot, or whatever i mean again it's it's not conclusive but it's it's a, a small concern so what he's turned into what it looks like is more of a kind of finisher rather than the kind of all-round shooter um and his shot map kind of supports that you know he's got he's got um since the injury i think he's got eight goals from quite a four and a half expectation i think and um, yeah, nearly all of them are kind of dead center in the box. So, so he's he's getting on the end of headers and finishing things. But what's interesting is that last year, like the stats bomb data actually suggests that he was pretty close to his expectation. Um, I haven't looked at, at what Opta might have had, but he had 28 goals um, from non penalties and and 
our stuff said that it was about 25, which meant that you know he, he was probably taking a lot of shots from from open range. Um, yeah, goalkeeper not set, not many people in front of him. Um, but like, it is really a volume question. You know, you're looking at at his current shots this year, and and his ability to get into space and find those those shots is is really strong. He's not shooting from longer range right now. Last year he had two goals from outside the box, one from like right on the edge, a couple from right on the edge actually, um, and plenty from like just a yard or two inside the box from a bit of distance. But again, he hits the ball, he strikes the ball very well. Like it's the type of thing that if there weren't the injury, you could look at it and say a coach had potentially gone too far, had had sort of like taken away some of of his like extremely good elements of, of Harry Kane's game. But now it's like really the injury plus the volume. And and the volume, like you know, he used to get a lot of shots from sort of central, slightly longer range, but like those are still good shots, especially for Harry Kane, and we're not seeing those at all. Yeah, there's kind of there is there's a big gap like kind of behind the penalty spot, kind of central where there just aren't any shots now. Um, yeah, and I, I don't think that his teams are playing Spurs differently. I don't think it's a tactical thing. I really just think that yeah, he's probably struggling from injury, and that would be scary right? because he was one of the world's best players before that injury, and now he looks like yeah, he's he's fine, but he's not he's not amazing. I mean, that's the thing. Even even like. Uh, He's never been all about speed, so even like you know a kind of slightly uh, squashed Harry Kane in regards ability is still going to get a fair amount of goals and is still going to you know sniff out chances in the box. Um, there was that thing about him, Michael Owen interview um, where he talks about how he was how he's practically <laughs> just injured for like nearly the last seven or eight years of his career and just struggling. But you know, he, he always had that instinct. He, he, it was undeniable that you know, in the box, he could find a header or he could find a half a yard of space. But you know, he obviously he lost. He, his speed was far more of his game, and he lost it, you know, com- completely. And um, was always f- fearful that he'd injure himself if he, he cut loose. But then Kane's in that kind of spot because, like I say, that's not his game. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's the same for all football, isn't it? The older you get, the more likely you get a wear and tear on the old bones, and um, you know you you have to adapt to do what you can best. And well, the interesting thing is, like, he's still putting out pressure, right? He's still a bit above average for his position in terms of uh, pressure output. Pressure regains is still like in the 90th percentile. So, like, the defensive side of the work is still happening. He's still getting some dribbles in. Um, you know, we don't know, and that's the big question. And you don't have any clarity on, on like his health or his injury stuff. But it's definitely a concern, and people should be able to talk about it like that, looking for you know indicators one way or another. But game to game isn't going to tell you much. Like we're going to have to see what he looks like over, you know, in between these, these this next international break. Like you'll get some pretty good clarity. And if he's had a six month run where he's not you know peak Harry Kane anymore, that's a real tragedy because he's he's a hell of a player. Yeah, I mean, we could just see. Mm, mine's gone blank. I've edited that. <laughs> James is broken. <laughs> I'm broken too. Maybe I won't edit it. It's just, just <laughs> sitting here crying. He's my just, book. he's, con- he's contemplating Harry Kane as not like the my, best player on the Spurs, and that's just, it's broken him. <laughs> my beloved Spurs. Uh, yeah, the one thing I did notice about Harry Kane in the last match, uh, the the Watford match, was. That he was taking fast and low, quick throw-ins. So you know, even if, even if you've, you're falling out of love with his, his, his shot volume, 
uh, he's uh, he started taking throw-ins as, as an attacking weapon. So always learning. That's the thing with Kane. He always he's huge. Learning. And so one of the things that I have a friend um, that I used to work with at Smart Odds that uh, um, he's a Spurs fan as well, and he's he's actually been able to to meet some of the players. And he he said he's he stood next to to Harry Kane and especially Deli Alley. He's like Deli Alley is a fucking unit. Like you would not realize it because he looks fairly skinny, and we've seen him grow up from being thin. But he's actually really tall and just really strong. He's just all muscle. Right? He doesn't have any extra stuff on him. But he's he's so he's he's so stretched out essentially that you don't really notice it until you stand next to him and you're like, oh my god, this guy is just a slab of beef. I mean, that's that's the thing about one of the things about Tottenham for a long time is is that you know they have been a physically strong team and you know and that, that's why they, they you feel like they maintain Dembele at least you know as part of that and yeah they, sure there's that photo of Dembele's thighs and yeah. I'm like oh that, those are glorious thighs like you don't want to go those are like tree trunk Saquon Barkley type thighs at least for the Premier League and that's one thing that, that like people do not realize like until you see these guys up close you see them only around other athletes really or you see them in like street clothes but it's a bit like the NBA when you see Steve Nash out there or you see Steve Nash and you're like, oh, that guy's tiny. He looks like a normal dude. And then you go stand next to Steve Nash, and Steve Nash is six foot two, and he's he's ripped and he's strong, and there's no fat on him. And you're like, he's not a normal dude at all. It's just that everybody else in that league is insane. They're freaks. Um, you know, Premier League is different because it's got like the whole scale of of uh, sizes or whatever. But most of those guys are like you know super duper athletes, and and you know you'd be shocked if you were standing next to them. I did see a, a picture of Caster Michael that looked like he was uh, in in the last most recent game. I think I think when he came up for uh, for a penalty perhaps or for a, a, a kick, and uh, <laughs> I was like, man, that guy looks like he's wearing one of those flak jackets that the NFL quarterbacks wear. <laughs> Just too big. I think uh, one one player that I noticed that, that seemed to have grown out of all proportion. Uh, it was Kennedy, who, the Chelsea guy who plays at Newcastle now. Yeah, I, I saw him. I saw him play live a couple of years ago, and I thought he was really quite slight, really quite a small guy. And nowadays you see him, and he just, he just looks again like he's just physically imposing. It's like that guy's that guy's done some work. <laughs> so as an Arsenal fan, we used to go play Chelsea in like the the sort of late first Mourinho era. And it was just terrifying. Like, why are all their guys, like, twice the size of ours? Like, why are they all so strong? And you could just see they, the, you know, Arsenal's players would wear down over the course of a match because, like, the physical battles really do take a toll. And then often you would see late goals because of that. So it, it, there is, a, you know, a pretty strong element that wants you to have strong players in the, you know, in the Premier League, in, in professional football, but you need to be careful about that strength and, and not let it overload them with, with muscle. It needs to be useful. And I've seen English clubs, like, you know, be like, hey, you're not strong enough. And then a guy comes back and he's like much heavier, but he's also got, you know, increased body fat. And they're like, oh, well, he's got extra body fat. I'm like, you broke him. Hey, this dude used to be able to run more sprints, high intensity than anybody else on our team. If this, if he's broken, then you guys broke it because he didn't show up that way. Uh, so it's something to be aware of. I'd just like to say from a personal point of view, having having increased body weight over time, you kind of hit a ball when you put a bit of weight on. <laughs> That's just a personal anecdote. But yeah, you know, I was always slight as a young man. And uh, yeah, but you put a bit of weight on, you kind of get, get some power behind a, a shot. So. So I, I wouldn't really know that. that. I don't have clean <laughs> ball striking technique. I didn't learn this game until I was 21. I, can throw a, I could throw a ball really far, though. So, you know, I got that going for me. 
Right, that's enough Carrie Kane and that <laughs> kind of business. Uh, sorry, sorry, James. Let's go on to things that, that amuse us. Uh, West Ham? <laughs> West Ham. It's, uh, this was a request, by the way. We, we didn't want to just take shots at West Ham. Uh, because, actually, we were quite positive, uh, I think, in the, in the preseason roundup. I st- yeah, I still think uh, they'll come good at some point. They've just had a horrible schedule in some... I mean, trips trips to Liverpool and Arsenal were... Not many teams are going to get points either. You know, of the say lesser teams are going to get any points there. Um, Bournemouth's a bit of a coin flip, and obviously they came out the wrong end of that. And then Wolves, Wolves are pretty good. Um, I think even in the through the early numbers, like having a casting an eye at Wolves, you know, you're starting to see like Nevis showing up well um, in player stats. Uh, they look really at least par, maybe slightly better. Again, early days, so not going to. You're telling me Ruben right. Nevers is good? It's hey, the numbers tell me what. <laughs> but you know, yeah, again, no, no surprise. But so the schedule's kind of done a little bit for them. Obviously, you know, <laughs> any any point whatsoever would uh, would uh, would help. And the numbers look horrible because they have got pretty much pumped. Mm. Uh, so, so this throughout. is the thing. They yeah, mostly. So we we have league numbers for all sorts of leagues, including like League One and League Two. In fact, and it's kind of interesting. James and I were kind of looking down at League One recently, um, and we're like, man, these numbers are crazy. Like Peterborough looked terrible in the numbers, and they haven't actually lost yet in that league. And then there's just like all of these strong teams that are dotted down through the table, even down at the relegation places, and then all of these like sort of weaker teams that have gotten results. And you're like, maybe the model's not right, but maybe there's just a lot of variance in that league right now. The Premier League looks fairly good, especially when you include like the the times when teams have red cards, or you you know you you readjust for for schedule strength. So if you've played Liverpool or Manchester City, you had extremely difficult games. Um, and if you've played uh, West Ham, then you've had very easy games. Uh, Huddersfield also, like in in the XG numbers anyway, look like you know people expected them to. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit, I think, throughout the rest of this pod about things that are slightly unexpected. But you know, the bottom four teams are at the bottom of the table right now, at least in the XG stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Huddersfield, Newcastle, Burnley, West Ham. None of them have had have you know starts to cover themselves with glory. And again, schedule will be part of that. But, you know, I mean, I think we talked about this beforehand. Like, I don't think it will be a problem for West Ham because I still think there's enough quality there. But if you do have that bad start where you can't buy a point for could love be or like money, Stoke last year. Yeah. Could it, be like Stoke. Yeah. And, you know, West West Brom as well just couldn't get a win. Yeah. Got one, one or two wins under Pulis and then what, what same again under Pardew. And now, it would just be really hard to kind of dig out of that once you're there. But. There's a counterfactual here that is stronger than all of those. Go on. Roy Hodgson and you know Crystal Palace, and actually Crystal Palace's numbers were great before Hodgson <laughs> yeah. took over. Uh, you know they they had like no goals and no points for a very long time, and then he managed to, to power them out because they you know effectively they reverted to the mean, but also it's <laughs> it seems like anyway. Um, you know, Palace had better structural numbers. West Ham have terrible structural numbers right now. Yeah, that's it, undeniable. <laughs> so, that is different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's very different in those counterfactuals. So we're talking about you know Stoke had really bad numbers and never managed to pull up. That's where West Ham are at the moment, despite the fact that we think they've got some pretty good talent. Um, you know, there are plenty plenty of guys on their squad are too old. 
that we've been saying this and, and hitting this drum for for ages. Like they have a lot of of sort of twenty nine thirty plus, um, which you know you can get away with it. But I think the bigger issue right now is how their midfield is constructed. And I know a guy who who used to work in West Ham, and we were talking about it, and this was years ago. And he'd be like, I cannot believe that Mark Noble starts for us. Like, watch this guy play versus, like, all the other midfield guys that you could have in the Premier League. It's just, you know, I don't understand it. I can't make it, I can't make sense of it. He's not, you know, in his prime. Slavin loves him for whatever reason. He just starts constantly. And, and it's a huge problem for us. Like, it, our midfield is a problem. And we're back at that same spot where, like, you look and you think that they've got some decent skilled players. Um, yeah, Felipe Anderson's quite good. A lot of their talent is like you know again slightly post peak, but not bad. Uh, but they just cannot keep a midfield together, and and the combination, especially of of like a Mark Noble who uh, there was a video of him like trailing a goal, and just he's he's like you know seven yards back the entire time, and he never gets caught up to the goal, and he never actually runs. He kind of jogs back the entire time, and someone's like, yeah, Mark Noble, West Ham's you know midfield engine or something like that, and and that plus. Uh, another guy who's had huge problems playing in a two, which is Jack Wilshire. Yeah, that probably hasn't helped them. They need to figure out a way to stabilize the midfield and then be able to let their their talent play. Yeah, um, I think I'm just a bit in, in love with Felipe Anderson at the moment. There were some clips of the one match. I think it was the Bournemouth game. That guy runs like uh, the ball is on a piece of string. He, dri- he, he dribbles. <laughs> I've rarely seen anything like it. He runs as fast as he dribbles, and the ball just yeah. kind of keeps coming back to his foot. It's really quite a quite a sight to behold. <laughs> so, I mean, I'd, I'd seen bits of him uh, before when he was in Italy, but like it really just jumped off the page when I was watching him. And it's um, so well, he was if, for nothing else. I I I, I, I want to see more Felipe Anderson. So I want to see West Ham. Yeah, get no, I agree with that. And he was a guy that stood out like three, four years ago, and it was a bit yeah. of a surprise that he ended up at West Ham at all. Yeah, he's he's always had kind of well, I mean, he's had a, a couple of really good seasons um, in in the data, so to speak, and uh, he just looks a genuine talent. And um, yeah, it, he he'll need to be their kind of pyet, really. Um, I think to kind of drag them a bit bit out of here. But yeah, early days, it's really not good. We can move on uh, to another team who've had a bad start. Let's talk um, about somebody that's real confusing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm presuming you're going to say Burnley. Are you going to say Burnley? I'm going to say Burnley. <laughs> well, we were all we were all excited that the Joe Hart experiment was going to was going to come into full effect, and so far, the Joe Hart experiment. If I just uh, there we are, shots against a lot, goals against a lot. Um, <laughs> Seventy-six <laughs> shots. Expected goals against. We have 7.18 on on our model, um, and then someone's also missed a penalty against them. And then they've given up nine goals, which is unusual. This is the opposite of Burnley. Yeah, I mean, this it's tempting to just say the two things. Number one, short period of time. Number two, natural variance means that these things will kind of fluctuate up and down. The, in the past, Burnley have had very fast starts uh, and like kind of benefited from the other possibly um, some method but possibly the other side of variance at the start of seasons and put themselves in good positions now obviously we've got them they well they're now out of the Europa, Europa League which will probably uh, please them a lot but that you know they, they had extra travel um, in the recent weeks and they've played a lot of games already 
plus Joe Hart. I mean, I don't think anyone really objectively thinks at this stage of her career, Joe Hart is a superior keeper to um, anyone else. Burnley's got Heaton or Pope. I think Pope's still injured. But it yeah, just, I, I it's can an totally agree with you on those. Um, you know, two trips to fairly long in Europa League qualifying, one to Turkey and then the other one to Greece. Um, some tough matches, like Olympiacos are a tough team there, a tough team every year. Um, so Burnley go out, uh, despite they, they were definitely battling, and like extra legs, small squad, they were still trying to press after a, a midweek, like against Fulham, um, that didn't make much sense to me, I was like, man, I, you know, <laughs> Fulham are going to come at you anyway, like why not just play your normal thing, but like their guys were way up the pitch again in that Fulham match, and I, I found that confusing, but the bigger thing is, and this is one area, you know, I we kind of joke about Sean Dyche, but like we also give him plenty of credit. Sean Dyche historically has been a great judge of goalkeeper talent for his system. And it's it's not close. Like you actually can't argue with it. For whatever reason, their goalkeepers look like year after year really good goalkeepers, whether that's because they're coached that way, whether because it's just that their skill set fits his needs and his needs of the system perfectly, I don't know. But it's undeniable to say that, you know, Sean Dyche has been or whomever chooses his goalkeepers has been great at finding goalkeepers that work for them and keep out goals. And now they're playing Joe Hart. It feels like, I mean, I think this feels similar to Arsenal. Um, because obviously um, Emery's come in there and he's, and he's still picking Czech. And Czech's been a bit... Mm, he's picking Czech, but he wants him to pass. <laughs> but <laughs> pass what, it short. What, what, you know, what are the human reasons here? Now, you know, I read a long thing about um, Emery in the summer and he was just explaining how he went into PSG and he, he kind of like... Um, it's almost like he's he's a bit touchy feely is the wrong way of putting it, but he kind of tries to read the room and, and get the vibe and tune yeah. into his squad and his players, which is understandable. So it could simply just be the fact that why is he picking Czech? Because Czech is he's Arsenal's number one goalkeeper. He has been for years. He's the senior man. It's almost like it's expected, and you have to be you know particularly strong-willed uh, to like upset that apple cart. Now Joe Hart the same esteems Joe Hart with many many England caps and titles and whatever turns up at Burnley but that's not the story behind Joe Hart right like you give it three years ago that was the story but, but Joe Hart has been bad yeah. and the people the people in Italy say he was bad and people at West Ham say he was bad so you are contending with history but it's not recent history like that's not the that's not the baggage that Joe Hart carries into the room with him the baggage that he carries into the room with him is the fact that he washed out of, of West Ham because Pep said he couldn't kick and then he hasn't been a good goalkeeper for like years now and even even like you know at City, he was, his last year, it was not great. So, like, he shows up, you've got what are really considered excellent goalkeepers, and those guys are not the ones that are playing. Well, he got to West Ham and he kept Adrian out for a while, didn't he? <laughs> and that, <laughs> so, maybe this is it, literally. Maybe. Strong personality turns up. I'm I'm goddamn Joe Hart. I, I'm your goalkeeper, kind of thing. I don't know. But <laughs> Your quotes lately are great, right? Like, <laughs> you pay, pay me my money, you swine. I'm goddamn Joe Hart. These... <laughs> These are the leads. This is what we pay you for, James. <laughs> it's, uh, it's all good stuff, but it, it makes you, it is it's an in, it's an open question as to, as to like you know are they going to stick with Joe Hart? Is it Joe? Is you know they are part of their defensive woes. Uh, the fact that Joe Hart is um, potentially less of a goalkeeper than 
than Heaton and Pope were last season, or is it just uh, you know the kind of natural the natural flux of of things? I mean, we've seen we've seen Lucien Favre um, exceed XG models um, over multiple seasons, and then he had a bad season at Nice, and it could just happen. And this <laughs> this is it, like you know things things can just not fall your way for whatever reason in a in a given year. Um, so- Actually, I think a really interesting way to talk about this is to look at how long from the time that Jurgen Klopp took over was the narrative that Liverpool can't defend. Well, like, that's yeah. like a, a fascinating one, right? Because like they can't defend, they can't defend, they can't defend. Finally, they get Virgil van Dijk, and then now they've got Naby Keita, and now they they're like one of the best defensive teams in the world at the moment. It looks like now that doesn't mean that they're going to maintain that, but no one's arguing that they can't defend anymore. And that's like a really interesting lineage and time to teach the system and get the right players for it. And, you know, Pochettino as well, you know, that first year, like his players and that press was terrible. Like that team was bad uh, mm-hmm. in, in terms of like, you know, Tottenham teams. So you know, it's it's kind of an interesting mix. Like Burnley have had you know, a long uh, time where Dyche has been the manager and that hasn't really upset that, but they haven't been great. Whether it's a tired legs thing and their their style probably takes a lot of, of physical and uh, high-end performance is something. But yeah, I think one of the things we th- found interesting about our, uh, the Statsbomb data and, and the way we do the, the model now is that Burnley moved up to be in sort of that 7th to 10th to range. It was really tight there. So they didn't look like they, they should be anywhere close to relegation on the new data. Right now, we have them as the fourth worst team in the league. Now, that's off the back of playing Manchester United, uh, Fulham, who like to attack, uh, also, uh, you know, what yeah, looks Wal- like maybe Watford quite a good Watford. Mm. Yeah, so like, you know, it may be that they've had a bit of a difficult schedule, but you know, they're kind of fairly in that range right now, and so there's work to be done. Just to um, flip to Liverpool quickly there, because it reminded me of something I noticed at the weekend. That Liverpool side that um, plays... Uh, they beat Leicester. That 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 defence, you know, we talk about Liverpool's defence. That defence was all relatively recent. You had, you had Robertson at left back, um, Van Dijk, Gomez in in the centre, and Alexander Arnold at right back. So all uh, two players that have come through the ranks: a, a new centre back from you know January and a new left back from uh, last summer, and then Allison in goal, a new goalkeeper. And yeah. so they they have effectively retooled their whole defence. You know, always great when you when you when your kids come through and, and turn out to be good good class. Um, and then their midfield as well. The midfield has quietly under, undergone a hell of a reconstruction when you consider that um, Coutinho left and Chan left, and then Oxley Chamberlain got his horrific injury. So it's it's interesting behind Liverpool's front three. You know, you kind of you don't really perceive Liverpool as, as you know this fast-changing um, unit. You feel like they're quite similar because maybe it's stylistic because of the way you know Klopp will always have them playing a similar kind of style. But they have had huge personnel changes in behind. So <laughs> this is what we talk about when we're evaluating sort of front offices and who's good and who's not. Like Liverpool haven't really had any duds, and you know, I I don't need to bang the drum anymore. But this is what you get from having like a really competent you know scouting stats department combined like you don't screw up very often and your your hits are really big hits and your misses are are still you know kind of average for your team maybe slightly slightly worse because you didn't know like the attitude or something like that but yeah you're right like they've done a great job of retooling that that squad and and they're seeing the results of it just to quickly uh, finish on burnley um i think by via our uh pressure data there just looks like there's less going on this season and that would make perfect sense to when you 
map it all against the added travel and early season and all these kind of things because last season quietly uh, that was that was one one th- one of the things that really came out of looking at uh, pressure day it was that Burnley like could do a hell of a lot <laughs> and you know even if you drop off five ten percent there for whatever reason you know then that can make a big difference and certainly it would make a big difference in this league where you know you really need to be somehow going at hundred percent all the time. We've right. talked about it for years on this podcast. Like the small clubs with the small squads cannot handle Europe. They can't do it. It just it tears them to bits. And we, you think that it's not a big deal. It really is. Uh, even some of the big squads, if they're trying to go for Champions League, they just always rotate and they put their second string in. Brentford always put their second string in for for the League Cup. Uh, like you just t- toss your second string in, and they, you know they're still doing well. Who knows if they'll do well against Arsenal? But it was, a, it was a conscious decision we made to kind of have a deep enough team to be able to do that, but also like to keep the injuries down, to keep the guys fresh. And the league is hard. It's just it's very, very difficult. So even a, a team like Burnley that have done well over the years and have a long-term consistency seems to be they're getting churned a little bit by this extra European travel. So yeah. let, let's talk about some teams that are not uh, sort of agreeing with the narrative right now. And there's there's three big ones here, and I, I kind of I, I wanted to shock you with two of them. But, go on in, uh, go on in. Well, T- Watford at the top of the table is is the the obviously shocking one. Mm-hmm. And if you look at their their numbers, you know the kind of top six ish. We haven't really shaken them out. Um, United, we knew coming in would have a ton of uncertainty. Like the air bars around United this season are anywhere between you know like 14th and second. <laughs> that's that's basically where they could they could finish, which is Pretty unusual, but you know Jose Mourinho in in year three. That's that's <laughs> we don't know how those finish. Um, <laughs> but like two two that I've found really surprising. One was your pick to get relegated. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm an asshole. Sorry. Yeah, go but on. It, but like this is a place where like XG numbers are really telling you a lot because uh, the shot numbers are are like twelve point two five and uh, four and fourteen against. So they're inverted on shot numbers. Mm-hmm. But they're creating good chances. And, we should say we're talking about Bournemouth here. Before we are we're talking about here. Bournemouth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who have they played? Oh, they've only played Cardiff, West Ham, and Everton, <laughs> and Chelsea, which they lost to. Well, yeah. <laughs> Actually, no, I mean, I, I have a point about one of those teams as well. I, Everton, who knows? <laughs> Everton are uh, Everton are like the the Bermuda Triangle right now of unknowing. Like three draws. Mostly funky scoring and then a win, and no one can tell if they're good or not. They're fun. <laughs> no one knows if they're good. Yeah, I mean Bournemouth. Have, Bournemouth have done what they they've been fairly good at doing this um, in recent seasons. They tended to start slowly, so this the start they've had is an absolute boon. And um, but what Callum they've tended healthy. what they've tended to do, yeah, Jermaine Defoe has been rarely cited. Um, what they've tended to do is is get points off their rivals or you know the lower lower teams and then been reasonably crap against the good teams most teams are but um yeah absolute you know beat Cardiff at home uh, beat West Ham away draw at uh, sorry draw at home to Everton I mean these are the results you need to get if you're going to stay in this league basically you need to get on the right side of the 
matches against your direct rivals, and that's what they've done so far. Um, they haven't really got much. In, they've got a dead easy schedule for a while. I think I'm hinted on that in in the last podcast. And it's not yeah. really till November until they face a quote unquote good team. And then yeah, they, so they, they, they a few. Not only along. do we expect, not only have they started well, but we kind of expect them to to stay up here, and they need to stay up here because like they've got a really rough churn in Christmas time. Yeah, and, and not to uh, flip too quickly. Uh, to Watford, but you know, four, four. It's amazing, four wins out of four, and this the whole season is just transformed. The, 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 the talk now I'm seeing about the place because everyone's always looking. They're always looking for a Leicester. Everyone wants to find one. Um, it, could Watford be this season's Leicester? Now I don't think that's that's the case at all. But cursory glance at their early numbers is they're miles ahead at, uh, up front. Um, I mean, the Tottenham game was quite revealing in that regard. They scored two set pieces. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to do that every week. But if you do, then you're going to win some games. Um, uh, but their defensive numbers look excellent. They look Extremely you know, they, stout defensively. Yeah, they've just given up nothing. And they gave, gave nothing to... You know, I obviously watched the Tottenham game. They gave nothing to Tottenham, really. Um, Tottenham have struggled against Watford. But I think last season they didn't create much either. But, um, yeah, that's, that's where they... they you know, if if they just uh, maintain some kind of level in defence, then they're going to be tough to beat. Whatever. Um, always the thing with Watford, they get to Christmas and then they just don't bother because they're safe. Um, maybe they can do a little bit, do that a little bit differently. Uh, I don't know how their bonus schedule works, but it feels like <laughs> it feels like they've had that, that kind of thing go on before. Um, but yeah, 12, 12 points is you know you're third of the way to safety after four games. It's 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 wild really to think how. Uh, just a few wins in this league can really, really count for something. Wouldn't yeah, exactly. West Ham for that. They're they're you know thirty three percent of the way to safety effectively. And what's, what I find interesting so far this year is like they are one of the oldest teams in the league. There's in an um, average age and weighted minutes. Um, they've got Will Hughes and and Decore, uh in midfield. I've loved Will Hughes for years. It'd be great if like he could have a long run where he doesn't get injured and gets to play at this level. Um, Ken Sema, who they brought in from uh, Oosterson's, uh Graham Potter's old club in the summertime, is is 24. But then a lot of these guys have been around for ages. Dini's now 30. Holebus, uh, Pereira is 27. Yanmat's there, 29. Uh, Kapu uh, <laughs> is 30. He's still here. You're like, oh wow, I actually forgot about that guy because I don't watch as much Watford as I might. But no, it's it's been fairly impressive. Um, you know, we're not sure if like this type of start is going to continue, but like on the back of a really stout defense, you know, they're they're almost certainly going to end this start. They'll they'll be in the league, and and the question is like, how far can they go? Their attack is meh at yeah. best, yeah. and 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 that'll bring them back. But you know, certainly fighting for for European spots is is in their their range, especially if if Manchester United stay as dysfunctional as they they have been. One one more club that I wanted to to kind of mention that like everybody and their dog, including me, um, had as like. Almost certainly the worst team in the league is Cardiff right now, mm-hmm. and the reason why I mention them is not because they only have two points. Sure, that's kind of expected, but their expected goals is, is they're actually positive. They're like point two two, and actually they're they're um you know they're positive in, in shots as well, which is intriguing. Like you don't expect Cardiff to to be in that range, but I that's where they're at. This this is yeah true. yeah exactly. <laughs> so they played at Bournemouth, lost two 0 They played home to to Newcastle. They played away at Huddersfield, and Huddersfield had a red. But they also played home against Arsenal, and and like basically went toe to toe with Arsenal the entire time. 
are, did we sleep on them? Did everybody sleep on Cardiff? Is that what the deal is? Mm, I'd be surprised. I did. This it's still gonna kind of. Oh look, they've got Chelsea, Man City next. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, they they have like the hardest schedule in, <laughs> yeah, in the whole league coming up over the next six weeks. But yeah, I mean, they're an interesting case because they're just gonna do do things differently, aren't they? They're gonna they're gonna exploit their set pieces as best they can. They're gonna they're gonna play like relatively long ball football. Um, not many teams. Or fewer teams than before will come up and try and play how Cardiff are trying to play. So, yeah, I mean, from that regard, you know, you still feel like the talent isn't there, but they're an interesting test case as to whether this kind of style of play can yield results with a with a good core uh, unit, uh, a team unit, rather than you know just the kind of Fulham, uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers technique of just getting good players and trying to play some football so you know I, I respect Cardiff for, for being there and being this this data point I still feel like that um, there's there's there won't be enough there to to actually drag themselves clear but if your West Ham's get dragged into some kind of we can't buy a win scenario then that's you know it's it's a slugfest you know who can get to 36 points or whatever and you know, you wouldn't entirely rule them out. I don't think they're going to get relegated with, say, 20 points. You know, I think, you know, they can probably get to 30, and then it's two or three games maybe, maybe decisive, and whether they can stay up or not. I mean, it's yeah, I, I think relatively that small margins. They're already doing better than, than pretty much anybody expected looking at that squad. Uh, maybe some credit to Neil Warnock? I don't know. That's <laughs> don't, don't want to go too far here. Um I just found it intriguing and not not something that anybody had mentioned. If you're a gambler, like maybe suddenly you're like, hmm, you know, maybe Cardiff can can cover some some spreads at the very least. Yeah, that's uh, the thing. Yeah, if they're the type of team that's not going to get crushed, you know, if they, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not necessarily ideal to to lose by one goal, but it's better than losing by four. So, um, yeah, they maybe maybe they're a team that can that can hold their own. Uh, Newcastle interests interests me. I mean, they they have looked not good at all in general but have had a horrible horrible schedule but they've uh, they've only they've they've not got much out of their games at all but they've only lost 2-1 uh, to um, first they lost Tottenham uh, City and City Chelsea lost two and Chelsea <laughs> yeah so like you know in, in, in some regards okay you got no points there but you can respect the effort you didn't get absolutely annihilated um, for all that Maybe the you know the shot totals and that looked a looked a little uh, less impressive against Tottenham in the first game. They were a little bit better than that, but yeah. Anyway, right. Anything else, Ted? How, how are we getting on here? Well, James is managing editor of Statsbomb again this week. He uh, <laughs> Mike's Mike, on holiday. Mike's on holiday, so uh, James is back on the site. I produced a a thing which is a little more than just somebody putting up their slides, but it's from my Radar Wars talk uh, that I gave at, at Cassis, and I did the whole presentation voiceover and stuff, so hopefully you get on the site and check that. James had a thing about Tottenham's defense. De- definitely worth a read. Um, yeah, and that's about it, so hopefully you're enjoying the weekly Stats Mom podcast, and uh, hopefully you're also going to take a break and, and step away from football, although there's some pretty good League of Nations games uh, this weekend, including England-Spain, I believe. Raheem Sterling's already pulled out with a, a quote-unquote back injury, hmm. so it's going to be that. It might be a bit like that, you know. Right. It? Maybe maybe I'll do something else this weekend. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. Great. Right.